isn't over My story's just begun Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does Ooh, Take your burdens down Shame at the door Father's house. Um, praise report, I didn't mess up. If y'all don't know this, I don't have any rhythm. None whatsoever. You can ask Sharon, you can ask, it's anybody in this choir, I cannot tap my foot to a beat to save my life. So I have to memorize everything from what I hear. I have zero, absolutely zero rhythm. So I want to give God some praise this morning. He got me through that. And uh, so you guys stand up this morning, turn to your neighbor, tell him hello. Welcome to the Father's house.
like to read Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Prayer is one of those things that is an incredible privilege that we get to call on the God of this universe, the one who loves you, the one who created you, and to know that he hears us. Not just for yourself, but as a church family, we get to pray for and intercede for one another. And during this time of prayer, we want to encourage you to do that. I don't know who the Lord may put on your mind to pray for, but I encourage you as we pray that you intercede for those around you, maybe for your family, someone that you may know has a need. Each week we have in our bulletin prayer requests listed. And uh, just encourage you to look through that, not only this morning as we pray, but throughout the week. But I would like to highlight, um, we've been praying for and continue to pray for Cindy Lou. Cindy's right there. And just to make you aware, uh, most of you are aware that she's in need of a kidney transplant and uh, needs a donor. And we've been praying for that. We've been uh, lifting her up. But they have some magnets. Not only on social media are we trying to get the word out, but at the table at the very back, there's some magnets that you can stick on your car. You don't know. You may be driving in Hickory, and God puts the right person at the right place at the right time that they say, and be compelled to give or to go be tested. So uh, the information on there just says Cindy Lou Brock needs a kidney donor. It's got a phone number, an email, and need type O blood. So if you would like to take one of those, they're free. They're back there on the table. You stick it on your car. You never know what God will do through that. So this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer, also remember Ray Bruder. Ray is still in the hospital. and We need to lift him up among so many more. So right now as our praise team leads us, I'm going to invite you to come, kneel at the altar. You can pray where you're at, but you... Get ready to intercede, not only for yourselves, but for those around you and the needs there before us. encourage you right now just pray for those to your left and to your right for your family lift them to the Lord the names of those that are on your mind even those that are in our bulletin maybe you got friends or co-workers pray for them right now that God would meet their need meet them where they're at our Heavenly Father we humble ourselves before you and Lord we confess that we need you Lord, we desperately need you in every situation of our lives. Lord, we need your strength. We need your power to make it each and every day. Lord, we need you to work in our lives. And Lord, we lift up all the names in this place today and ask that your will be done. Lord, we're thankful that you hear us. Lord, we come boldly before your throne of grace. Lord, we boldly approach you knowing that you hear, knowing that you answer, and know that you are more than able to meet every need that's represented in this room today. Lord, I pray that you would speak through Keith as he comes in a short few moments, that you would speak through him, allow us to hear your voice through your word, Lord, allow him to speak with power and conviction. And Lord, we just need to hear from you today. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our church. Lord, help us to be faithful to the calling that you have on our lives as a body of believers. Lord, for those that are here today that are struggling, help them, Lord, to truly just lay their burdens down at the cross. For those who have strayed, I pray that you would draw them back. For marriages that are struggling right now, Lord, I pray that you bring reconciliation. But, Lord, you are at the center of our need, and, Lord, we call out to you and ask that you work today for your honor and for your glory. We thank you most of all for our salvation in Christ. We thank you for the cross. And if there's someone here today that does not know you, may they come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
seated.
as our choir makes their way down, just it's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker, preacher today. Uh, back when Jamie realized he would be out of town today officiating a wedding, I'm sure he contacted Keith, and it's an honor to have Keith with us. And if you've been a part of East Taylorsville for any time, uh, Keith is no stranger to East Taylorsville Baptist Church. I know growing up here, Keith was just, there's people you can remember as a, ch as a child, and I wasn't too much younger than you, Keith. But as a child growing up here, uh, I just remember Keith being a part of East Taylorsville. That's part of my memories. And uh, as Keith was involved here, he was uh, here with when uh, Lanny was here as the minister. You're a minister of music, I think, and, and youth, that part of that ministry. Um, but while here, Keith answered a call to ministry, was licensed and ordained here at East Taylorsville, and has been pastoring for 40 years, and is now uh, a high school teacher at Heritage Christian School. And uh, it's an honor to have Keith with us, so let's uh, give him an East Tales of welcome as he comes to bring the word. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Well, my mind is running circles right now, uh, thinking about all the memories that I hold on, hold near and dear to my heart from the years I spent at East Taylorsville Baptist Church. Um, it's an honor for me to be able to preach here, to come home. And uh, I was saved, I was baptized, I was ordained here at East Taylorsville Baptist Church. And as he mentioned, as a young adult, with Lanny Smith leading us, uh, we traveled around as the decision singers. I don't know what went wrong. Sharon still looks like she did back then. I have aged, maybe not so gracefully. But we had some wonderful times worshiping God together. And as I listened to one of Jamie's recent messages, he made the statement that Sharon and Kevin and so many others do what they're doing in serving this church because they have a deep love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if Byron is here this morning, but I believe he mentioned Byron and said that on that particular Sunday, they had some 84 uh, members of that class in attendance. Um, that brought to my mind the fact that I was privileged to teach the auditorium Bible class. Gary Jennings had a way of getting people to do things they didn't want to do. Can anybody say amen? Gary was my apostle Paul, and I was kind of his Timothy when I was here. And uh, the man who taught the auditorium Bible class had to move away with his job. And so Gary came to me and said, Keith, would you teach the auditorium Bible class Sunday, just one Sunday? And uh, nobody wanted to do it because it was broadcast live over the radio. Well, then he came back to me and he said, will you do me a favor and teach the auditorium Bible class again this coming Sunday? Friend, I ended up teaching the auditorium Bible class for three years. <laughs> the first Sunday, there were 18 people in that class. And when I left after three years, we had grown to 88. So, Byron, you're getting close to the record that I held when I was here as well. But it is an honor to be able to be here and to worship God with you. I'm thankful for the privilege to come home, and I just want to say thank you to East Taylorsville Baptist Church. When God called me to preach, uh, we got ready to move to Lynchburg, Virginia, to Liberty University to prepare for the ministry, and East Taylorsville Baptist Church helped financially for me to get the education that I was able to receive. So thank you for letting me worship with you this morning, and thank you, East Taylorsville. Let me invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Ruth. Last Sunday in his message, Jamie made a statement that a lot of preachers don't place a high value on the Old Testament anymore. But I would remind all of us that in God's Word, we're told that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Well, in God's Word, there are a number of Old Testament scriptures that present a type or a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. These types, these foreshadows, paint a picture for us of Jesus Christ and events that would take place in his earthly ministry. Probably one of the most well-known of these foreshadows or types of Jesus is when God called upon Abraham to take his beloved son Isaac to Mount Moriah and offer him as a living sacrifice there. That also painted a picture of Jesus Christ as God the Father was preparing to sacrifice his beloved son on the cross of Calvary to pay our sin debt 
so that we could receive the forgiveness of sin and receive the promise of a home in heaven one day. So as we open our Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Ruth, we're going to find yet another Old Testament foreshadowing or type of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I don't know if they're going to be able to get it on the screen or not, but we're going to be looking in Ruth chapter number 1. We'll start reading in verse number 1. The Word of God reads, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited the people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the land the place where she was, and her daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will not return we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they are grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, my, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. In verses 1 and 2, we're introduced to a family. We meet a man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech has a wife whose name is Naomi, and they have two sons. Their two sons are Malon and Chilion. They're living in Bethlehem, Ephrata, Bethlehem, Judah, which is Bethlehem, the place where Jesus was born. And a famine arises. Like any provider for his family, Elimelech realizes we can't stay here and starve to death. So he takes his family and they move down into the land of Moab because there is grain and there is food there for them. The Bible says they spent about 10 years there. During that period of time, Elimelech dies. So it leaves his wife, Naomi, and the two sons. Uh, the first son is named Chilion. The other is named Malon. But we find that on top of that, then, Malon and Chilion marry. They take a wife. And the two wives were named Orpha and Ruth. And shortly after they have taken wives, both of the sons die as well. So you've got a very tragic picture here, a very sad picture here. You've got a widow lady... Naomi and two other widows, her daughters-in-law. And so they are there in the land of Moab. But then they learn that there is grain back in Bethlehem. And so Naomi makes the decision that we'll go back to my homeland. She still had property there. She still had a home there. And we'll move back there because I have learned that they have grain. The Lord has blessed once again. So they actually begin their journey, leaving the land of Moab. And they go toward the land of Bethlehem. And then she tries to encourage her two daughters-in-law 
you need to go back to your home of your parents. I don't have the ability to get married and have more children. I can't have more sons so that you can take them to be your husbands. And even if that were possible, would you really wait till those boys were grown so that they could become your husbands? And so she encourages them to go back to their homeland. We find that they both are reluctant and they begin to weep and cry. They want to stay with their mother-in-law. And we find that as this happens, Orpha finally decides that she'll take Ruth, uh, take the advice of her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she'll return to her family. But Ruth is resistant to that. And we find that in verse number 16, it says, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. Now, we've probably heard that scripture used in wedding ceremonies countless times, but it's kind of unusual that a daughter-in-law would have that kind of devotion and that kind of commitment to her mother-in-law. But that's the heart of Ruth as we see it. And I want to remind you that we all make commitments every day, do we not? Sometimes we make good commitments. Sometimes we make bad commitments. We're all human. We make mistakes. Well, Ruth's commitment was a very good commitment. But Pastor Ran Randy Freeze talks about a boy one day who made a horrible commitment. The boy was living in the country when they did not have indoor plumbing. Instead of having a bathroom, they had an outhouse. Does anybody here know what an outhouse is? I heard somebody say I do. Anyway, that's what they had to use when they needed the restroom. They would go to the old outhouse. And that boy hated that outhouse. He couldn't stand it because in the winter it was cold, in the summer it was hot, and he would walk by that old outhouse and he'd say, I'd just like to get rid of that thing. And so he made a commitment. He decided, when I get the opportunity, I'm going to get rid of that thing. So in the spring, the rain had caused the creek that was beside the outhouse to rise. And so he decided, now's my chance. He went to the barn and got a two-by-four, and he prized that old outhouse until it finally toppled over, fell into the creek, and flowed downstream. Well, that evening, after, at supper at the table, the father said, Son, somebody turned the old outhouse over and let it float away down the creek. And I know it was you. So after supper, you and I are going to go to the woodshed. The little boy knew that he had been caught. And so he confessed. And so he said, but dad, I read in school where George Washington chopped down a cherry tree because he confessed he didn't have to get a spanking. And his father looked at him and he said, but son, George's father wasn't sitting in that cherry tree. <laughs> no doubt that boy made a pretty bad commitment that day, wouldn't you agree? But I want to focus your attention on the commitment that Ruth had made. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we find that they have returned now to Bethlehem, and it's the harvest season, it's the barley season. And the custom in that day was the poor people were allowed to follow the reapers as they were gathering the harvest, and any that was left behind or any that they missed, they were able to pick up, and then they could take what they had gathered and they could sell it and get money for whatever they needed money for. Well, in God's province, it finds out that Ruth ends up gleaning in a field that belongs to Boaz. Boaz just happens to be a kinsman to Naomi's husband who has passed away. So in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we're going to read of the kindness that Boaz expressed to this widow lady by the name of Ruth. It said, Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. So he's making a provision for Ruth. He says, you don't need to go find another field in which to glean. 
you just stay here, follow the reapers, and stay with the maidens that I have and continue to gather anything that you can gather and even instructs the reapers not to touch this young woman, to leave her alone, to be kind to her. And it even tells us that he went so far as to instruct the reapers, leave a few handfuls on purpose so that she can come by and pick them up. Folks, I don't know if you've ever experienced it in your life, but I have many, many times. God has often left handfuls of purpose for me. Times when I didn't know how we were going to make it. Times when I didn't know where I was going to find what I was in need of. But God always made provision in one way or another. And uh, there's some people that are very special in my memory. Remember Miss Elsie Pennell and Conley? How many of you remember that couple? There's a building named in her honor. I was attending Liberty University. She and her husband were living on a fixed social security income. And so one Sunday when we were visiting, coming home from college, she said, Keith, can you come over to the house for just a minute? They lived in a mobile home. And so went to the mobile home and she said, God's laid something on my heart, Keith. She said, he's told me that every month he wants me to take $5 out of my social security check and mail it to you. You know how small I felt? Here I was, a young man working, going to college, and this lady and her husband living on Social Security were going to make a commitment to send me $5 every month out of their Social Security check. And with regularity, that's what I would receive every month. And you may say, $5 is not much. If you're living on Social Security, $5 is important. So a few months later, I came back, and she asked me to come by the house again, and so I went, and she said, Keith, I've just got to tell you how good God is. By that time, she had developed cancer. She had to go to Winston-Salem for treatments and for doctor's appointments. And each time she would go, she was supposed to pay a certain fee. And she said, it came time for me to send you your $5. But it was also the same day I was supposed to go to Baptist Hospital. And I didn't have the money to send you and to go make my payment as well. And she said, Conley said, just wait. Keith will understand. You don't have to send it today. She said, no, I made a commitment, and I'm going to honor that commitment. And she said, here's how God came into the picture. She said, ordinarily, the mailman runs late in the afternoon. That morning, the mailman came early, and there was money in an envelope for me to have to go to Baptist Hospital and still send you your $5. Now, folks, that may not mean anything to you, but that blesses my heart just to remember somebody that was that committed and had taken on something they didn't have to take on. And all I can say is to God be the glory. Praise God for his provision. So we find that in the next chapter, we see that Boaz uh, learns that Ruth is a kinsman and her mother-in-law has given her some strange advice. And we would probably think this is maybe kind of out of the normal but she found out that Boaz's field was the field that Ruth was gleaning in, and she knew that he was a kinsman to Elimelech, her deceased husband. So she said, I want you to watch the place on the threshing floor where Boaz prepares to lay down for the night and sleep. And you wait until he goes to sleep, and then what I want you to do is go uncover his feet, and I want you to lay at the feet of Boaz. Now some would say, she's seducing him. No, she was showing an act of submission to him. And he wakes up at midnight, and he probably moved his feet around and felt a body there. And so when he wakes up, he wants to know what in the world she's doing and who she is. And she takes the opportunity to tell him, I am a kinsman to uh, you through my deceased father-in-law, Elimelech. And I need someone to serve as a kinsman redeemer for me. Boaz agrees that he will do this, but then he realizes there's one who is closer kin. Let's use, use cousins, for example. Say that Boaz was a second cousin. There was a first cousin. That first cousin was more kin to Ruth and Naomi than he was. And by right, that man had to have the first opportunity to be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. So what he did is he went to the gate of the city and that was a meeting place where a lot of business took place. That's where people would come and congregate. And so as he goes there, he waits on that nearer kinsman to come by. And because witnesses were necessary for any transaction, he gets 10 men to come and sit with him at that gate. And so when the kinsman that is nearer kin passes by, 
he approaches him in front of those ten witnesses and he says, Naomi and Ruth need a kinsman redeemer and you are the nearest to kin, so you have the first chance to become the kinsman redeemer for these two women. That meant that he would assume all of their debts, all their responsibilities, and he would be the one that takes care of them. And the man thinks about it and he says, I can't do this because probably he was in such debt already that he knew if he put himself in even further debt, he would mar what he had. Does anybody know anything about overextending yourself? He was fearful that if he took on this responsibility, he would overextend himself. So in the custom of the day, the way they sealed this was he pulled off his shoe and he handed it to Boaz saying, you can walk in my shoe. You can take my place. You can become the kinsman redeemer. So we find that's exactly what Boaz does. And as we read on in the story, we find that there's a wedding that takes place. Ruth and Boaz become husband and wife. And I want you to understand something about being a kinsman redeemer. There were three things that were necessary, three things that were required. First of all, they had to be kin. Boaz was kin through Ruth's father-in-law, Elimelech. The second thing is they had to be able Whereas the first kinsman said, I'm not able to take on this. It'll mar what I have. Boaz was able to do that. And the third thing is the person had to be willing. Boaz was willing to become a kinsman redeemer for both Naomi and Ruth. I told you that the Old Testament has types and foreshadows. My friend, what we see here is a picture of Jesus Christ who became my kinsman redeemer when I was saved who became your kinsman redeemer when you opened your heart and accepted him as Savior and Lord of your life. You see, the kinsman redeemer had to be kin. Jesus Christ left the glory and the splendor of heaven, and he took on a robe of humanity so that he could become kin to us. He was all God, but yet he was all man. He identified with humanity. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way that you and I have ever been tempted except for the fact that he never gave in to that temptation. Jesus Christ became kin to you and me in order to become our kinsman redeemer. The second thing is a kinsman had to be able. Jesus Christ not only was the only one who's able, my friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is still today the only one that can save you and me from my sins. He's the only one that can become our kinsman redeemer. And the third thing is he had to be willing do you remember when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane after leaving the upper room? He said, Father, if this bitter cup can pass from me, so be it. But if not, thy will be done. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ was kin to us? He was able to do what nobody else could do, and he was willing to become our sacrifice on the cross of Calvary so that we could have the gift of eternal life. I want to tell you, one day, you and I, if you're saved and born again, are going to attend a marriage celebration. The Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm like any other preacher. I love to eat. I don't know what will be on the table that day, but it will be better than anything you and I have ever experienced. And guess what? We won't have to watch calories. Ladies, are you happy for that? But we find out we are going to a wedding one day. And if you keep reading in the story... You'll find near the end of the book, it tells us that there was a son who was born to Ruth and to Boaz, and they gave him the name Obed. Later on down the road, Obed then had a son, and his name was Jesse. And then Jesse had sons, and one of the sons that Jesse had was named David. Boaz was the great-grandfather to David who served as the king of Israel. The same David that the Bible says is the lineage through which Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, would come. He is our kinsman redeemer. Aren't you thankful that God loved you enough that he would give his only begotten son to die on an old rugged cross, that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could be pardoned? If you'll take another look at the book of Ruth, you see it really paints a picture of normal Christian life. First of all, Ruth had to make a decision. She decided, she said, no, I'm not going back to my family. She's told her mother-in-law, I'm going where you're going. 
The second thing is we find Ruth serving. There she is out in the barley fields, working, gleaning. The next thing you find her resting. She's resting that night at the feet of Boaz, who would become her kinsman and redeemer. Friend, I want to tell you, you've got to make a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Nobody else can do it for you. And it doesn't matter how good your mom or your dad or your grandpa or your grandma, it doesn't matter how good your life is that you may be living, you have to make a personal decision to accept Jesus Christ into your heart and life as your kinsman and redeemer, as your Savior and Lord. The second thing we see are serving. I've often told people, if all God was concerned about is saving you so you can go to heaven, he would take you out just the minute you say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. But he doesn't save us just to get us to heaven. He saves us so that we can do work for him right down here on earth. We see Ruth serving. You and I as believers need to be busy serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then we see her resting at Boaz's feet. The only place you and I are gonna find real rest is if we lay our burdens and our cares down at the feet of Jesus Christ. And the last thing is Ruth was rewarded. I'm looking for that day and I don't feel worthy. We don't talk a lot about glorification, but the Bible has a doctrine in there that is a doctrine of glorification. Do you see one day because of what Jesus did for us, we're gonna receive all the glory that heaven affords. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We've been adopted into the family of God. And whether we feel worthy, and I know we don't, he counts us worthy because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. So I hope you remember when you hear the story of Ruth that she had a kinsman redeemer in Boaz. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have a kinsman redeemer in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Now, usually I go to the door and there's too many of you for me to shake hands with. But usually when I preach, when I pastored, I would always go to the door to greet people as they were about to leave. And uh, so the story is told this preacher was getting ready to go to the door and he went to the door and he was standing there and a young man came by, shook his hand and said, that was the sorriest message I ever heard in my life. He didn't know how to respond. Well, the little fellow went back around and got in line again, came through the second time, looked at the preacher, shook his hand and said, that was the sorriest message I ever heard in my life. And the preacher just, I don't know what I did or what I didn't do. And in a few minutes, here came that little fellow around the third time. And he looked at the preacher, shook his hand, and he said, I tell you, that was the sorriest message I ever heard. He went on his way, and the person behind him said, Preacher, don't think anything about it. He just repeats everything he's heard everybody else say. <laughs> so it may have been a sorry message this morning, but I hope it did some good for your heart. It would not be fair. It would not be right to tell you that Jesus saves and have someone in this building who is not saved without giving them an opportunity to make that decision. Ruth made a decision. Ruth served. Ruth rested. And Ruth was rewarded. My friend, with heads bowed and eyes closed, the people are coming to the mu musical instruments and your pastors are gonna be here to receive you. I'll come down front. I'd be honored to pray with you if there's anything in your life that you'd like for me to pray with you about. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm always reluctant to do this. I ask how many people are saved, and I'm not embarrassed to ask that. But if you are saved and know you have a home in heaven, you know without any shadow of a doubt you have a kinsman and redeemer. Would you just slip up your hand? No one's looking around other than the Father. God bless you. You can rejoice, can't you? And this is the part I always get nervous about. It's because I had an experience a number of years ago. I made the statement, if you're not saved, would you slip up your hand? I promise you, I won't come to you. I won't call your name. I won't embarrass you, but I will pray for you. It was Easter Sunday. And one of the oldest men in the church in his 70s slipped up his hand. And I wrestled there at the altar. I thought, he must have misunderstood the question. I didn't go to him. I didn't talk to him. I dismissed the service. A year later, on Easter Sunday morning, I did the same thing. And I told the congregation, I said, if you're lost, slip up your hand. I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. 
that man raised his hand again a year later. His daughter stepped out and came. She said, Pastor, please pray for my daddy. And I prayed for him. We looked up and there came that 75 year old man out of his pew. He got saved on an Easter Sunday. So I will not come to you and embarrass you tonight or today, but I will tell you this, if God is speaking to your heart, don't turn him away. You may not have another year. You may not have another day. You may not have another hour. We don't know. He says today is the day of salvation. He says now is the appointed time. So as we stand to our feet, if you need to come, maybe you're saved. You say, Pastor, I know I'm going to heaven, but maybe there are issues in your life that you need to come and bring to an altar today. Remember, you'll only find rest from your burdens when you lay them at Jesus' feet. Father, I pray right now that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would move among us today. Lord, I know I've made a feeble effort at trying to convey your message, but, Lord, they've heard your word, and your Holy Spirit's had the opportunity to speak. So, Father, if there's one that needs to be saved, I pray you'd save them before this day is over. If there's someone that has a burden, has a need, just needs to come and pray, maybe for themselves, maybe for someone else, God, would you help them to take that opportunity right now? And we'll give you praise for whatever you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Would you come as God leads you? thing so you don't have to do it at the door in unison now my high school kids have troubles quoting scripture in unison that means in unity all together this is what I want you to repeat after me that's the sorriest message I ever heard in my life okay one two God bless you which we know that's not true. Keith, thank you for preaching God's word, for teaching us God's word. What a great reminder. That's all of us.